0: Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's program is sponsored by Wild Wild Westcon in Tucson, Arizona, and features the music of the Nathaniel Johnstone Band. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our doctor, she was entangled in the web of her own lies. Mix is expecting to investigate the Doctor's personal sleeping space, which in reality is the laboratory where the Doctor carries out her experiments with the space-time continuum. Professor Savant, using items from the Antiquities Department, has attempted to outfit the room as a more typical boudoir in order to help with the subterfuge. And now, we shall see if their machinations have been successful.
1: Good morning, Dr. Sage. Good morning, Abigail. I trust you slept well. Oh, I did. Is there anything wrong, Dr. Sage? If you don't mind me saying, you seem a bit out of sorts. Uh, I'm quite fine, thank you. Shall we get this over with?
0: In truth, our good doctor is quite out of sorts. She is unused to prevarication of any kind, and the constant need to act with subterfuge in order to maintain her experimental integrity is wearing.
1: My... This room is quite... decorated. Yes, I'm afraid I made the mistake of asking Erasmus if he could help me find items to make it... uh, comfortable. So how is it exactly monitor your sleep here? And, And why is your bed tilted at such an angle? The bed is actually a laboratory table that we've attempted to make more comfortable. In order to efficiently connect my equipment, I cannot sleep on standard furniture. This slab will tilt back to complete horizontal, but I have found it easier to rise whilst in the Faraday suit if I bring it to this angle. Thanks to the work of Luigi Galvani, we know that electricity is the progenitor of animation in the living body. Even whilst we sleep, the basic movements of life continue. The filling and deflating of the lungs, the beating of the hearts, the flexing of the muscles continue unabated. To date, galvanistic studies have concentrated on post tissues. Because of the dangers of applying electrical current to live bodies is too great. In a branch of my research that is tangential to my remit, I have found a method to mitigate the damage caused by the direct application of current. The Faraday suit you're wearing? Yes. See, by routing the current through this series of looping copper wires affixed in the body of the suit, I can effectively create a nimbus of electricity whereby the current encounters the body in a constellation of pinpricks rather than in a single deadly thrust. I see. And the C-R-A-P helmet. Uh, That stands for cranial reticulation analog plexus helmet. It allows me to measure and record the electrical signals from my brain as I sleep. It notes fluctuations in the electrical nimbus created by the suit and allows me to compile data on the relation of electrical signal in the brain compared to that of the body. And how does all this work together? I have fixed these electrodes on the inside of the suit to my upper left and right chest, both front and back, and these additional electrodes at the hips and thighs. Then close the suit, and the lead from the suit plugs into the console at panel B, as such. Then I don the CRAP, secure the chin strap, and plug the lead from that into panel A, as such. All there is to do then is lay back and relax. When I hit this main power button, the system will take it from there. It will automatically tilt my bed back into the reclining position and begin the process. May I see the data? Well, I haven't compiled it yet, so it may seem a bit incomprehensible. But I do have last night's reading on the desk in the lab. Why don't we step back out there? You see, the readouts are basically nothing but the squeagles of pins recording the rising and falling electrical energy. What is this massive spike here? Nothing. I mean, well, not nothing exactly, but it is, well, uh, that is, I was having a nightmare, and I awoke, gasping for breath, my heart pounding. It was nothing, an anomaly. It will just confuse the data set, so I'll exclude that from my analysis.
0: I still am uncertain why this branch of your research should not be included in the larger
1: analysis of your project. It will be, perhaps when I reach the stages of live subject experiments. But for now, I am working on understanding the application of current to cadaver flesh. I must first understand what is possible for that side of the equation. I see. Well, I suppose your sponsor did say they were willing to pay for unlimited electrical expenditure. And this line of inquiry is not... Interfering with your university remit? Exactly. You must understand how the scientific mind goes off on tangents. University grants rarely allow for such investigations, but I do not cease being a scientist when my college hours are through. Well then, for now I shan't report to Max Cunningham. Do let me know if anything changes.
0: And so, once again, the good doctor has seemingly avoided the trap that Cunningham has laid for her. How long she can continue to do so, I am afraid I cannot say. For a few weeks after that conversation, Dr. Sage focused on the galvanism expected of her and made great strides in that work. She can now successfully move a cadaverous arm in a full range of movement, including a clenching of the fist. Unfortunately, there is little strength in the grip, and she is still a long way from inspiring full engagement of the Flexor Digitorium, the Flexor pollicis longus, and the Flexor Digitorium Profundus, without which, we all know, it would be nearly impossible to grasp. There has been no time for travel in the intervening weeks, but now, deep in the heart of winter, under the pall of a deep snow, an opportunity has risen.
1: Hello, Erasmus.
2: Hello, pet. It is glorious outside.
1: If you consider wet and freezing glorious, I suppose.
2: (laughs) What do you have against snow, my dear doctor?
1: I have nothing against snow in the abstract, and in the particular, I'm quite grateful for it. This storm has shut the college, sent home the students, cloistered Abigail at her mother's house, and presented an opportunity for us to adventure once
2: again. (laughs) Such romance. You are practically poetic. So... Where are you sending us now?
1: I still wish to test the limits of our reach into the past. I've changed the pitch to E, an octave above middle C. I think this might take us back near the start of the Christian era.
2: Ooh, ancient Rome. Oh, I have so many curiosities to satisfy.
1: Oh, you know I haven't even begun to pinpoint the where, only the when. We might end up in Outer Mongolia.
2: Oh, point taken. But still, the entire world was full of interesting cultures and fascinating political and trade complications. Thanks to our last trip, I've been able to convince Professor Wilson to re-examine his assumptions on the role of women in Viking society. Oh, I look forward to whatever the past has to show me.
0: And so, the pair returned to the laboratory, now rescued from its masquerade as a bedroom, and prepare to travel into the unknown. The process of suiting up and taking their positions on their respective slabs is nearly routine. There is a comfort in knowing that they have returned from the past more than half a dozen times and that the death that facilitates the transfer of consciousness does not need hinder their explorations and the attendant expansion of knowledge.
1: Wait, I must check that the light is off in the main lab. I know that Abigail is snowed in at her mother's house, but I cannot take chances of us being discovered through my negligence if Jeffrey is still lurking about. There. The laboratory is locked, the lights are doused, and our privacy is secured. I hope that is enough of a precaution.
2: Oh, I'm sure that it'll be fine. The snow shows no sign of relenting, and the camp is as silent as a ghost town. Even the ever-vigilant Cunningham is away.
1: Well then, we are to it once again. Just let me record my notes. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 26 February 1894. An opportune snowstorm has allowed a window for travel, and once again, myself and my travel partner, Professor Erasmus Savant, will venture transmigration. I hope to get the opportunity to test my theory on hypothermia as a gentle transition for return, although this cannot be counted upon due to my inability yet to program an exact location for our travels. I do, however, believe that I may have cracked the trajectory in relation to number of years traveled. I have set the Cladney pitch to E, the octave above middle C, which I believe will transport us roughly 1,800 years into the past. Ready, Erasmus?
0: Always, pet. And so, with the usual hum of electrical activity, our pair are staged to travel into the distant past. Will our travelers end up in ancient Rome, or will their travels take them farther afield? We'll find out after this short musical break. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the musical outpourings of the Nathaniel Johnstone Band, performing the completely apropos number entitled, Traveling.
3: glass, watch the sands slow down, flip the glass, watch the sands slow down, flip the glass, watch the sands slow down, it has turned to
4: hours and the days go round, it has turned to hours and the days go round and round, slip down the dunes of
3: memory, I could endlessly You're traveling through time You're traveling in your mind
4: without me You're traveling through time You're traveling in your mind without me a map of images,
3: a trail of all the faces,
4: you're traveling through time, you're traveling in your mind without me, you're traveling through time, you're traveling in your mind Momentary recognition, a flash of sound and clear cognition, eyes that burn in prayer. Then fleeting ghosts, the moment's gone, lost as wasteland scouring storm Wipes the present from your mind and your town
3: the glass, watch the sands flow down. Flip the glass, watch the sands flow down. Minutes turn to hours and the days go round.
4: Minutes turn to hours and the days go round. And round. Slip down the years in front of me. You're traveling. You're traveling through time. You're traveling in your mind without me.
0: And now, back to our story. Our heroes are venturing forth once again, dear listeners, in the spirit of fresh adventure, new knowledge, and extended understanding of the world all of which attitudes the doctor is going to need, as this time she has found herself in a body wholly unlike her own. In fact... (gasps) Yes, that is right. Dr. Sage is inhabiting the body of a dog. Petra? Petra? Where are you? Standing over the professor, a small bowl in hand, is a man wearing a richly embroidered silken robe in the Chinese style. His brow is creased with worry, and he smells of sulfur.
3: Ah, Cheng, you have proven as good as your name. You swallowed the elixir with me, took a journey, and now, like myself and Ben Ben, you have returned. Journey? Ben
0: Ben? At the sound of her body's name, the doctor is overcome with the urge to leap into the professor's lap and lick his face. Not stopping to question the impulse,
3: she does so. <laughs>
2: dog, dog,
3: dog! leave off! Do not be too hard on poor Ben-Ben, Cheng. He cannot understand what has happened to us. Our intellectual journey into the unknown is beyond his capacity to grasp. Uh, I'm sorry,
0: we've been on a journey. The Chinese man is Wei Boyong, a second-century alchemist. Cheng is one of three disciples that were working with Wei Boyong using the alchemical arts to discover the secrets of immortality. Yesterday, the alchemist fed an elixir they had concocted to the dog, who promptly died. Unwilling to suffer the humiliation of defeat, Wei Boyong also took the elixir, and Cheng, ever the faithful disciple, followed suit. This explains why there were dead bodies to inhabit, but it does not explain why the doctor has entered the dog. Savant, as is to be expected leaps to a
2: wrong conclusion. All right, Petra, you've had your fun. You must have come to consciousness moments before me, yes? So, where are we? What have you figured out? Dear Cheng,
3: you are confused. I must get you some water. We are exactly where we were yesterday when we drank the elixir, only we are immortal now, as we had hoped. We have returned from the dead. Benben as well. We three shall now have an eternity to investigate the mysteries of the ages. Dear listeners, being your
0: narrator is mostly delightful, often exciting, and usually straightforward. When our characters can't, or won't, speak their thoughts, I do my humble best to interpret for them. In this case, I am at a loss. A dog's brain is quite different than a human's, and thought does not coalesce in the same manner. I can feel the doctor trying furiously to quantify the stimulus her brain is receiving, but so far all I can interpret is... Mm. I want... I think... Food! 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 Oh, this is going to be fun. The doctor is struggling to understand the world through the senses of a canine. Common belief is that dogs are colorblind, but this is incorrect. Dogs simply see fewer colors than humans. Reds, yellows, and greens are missing from their perception, but blues, grays, and browns do appear for them. The opposite is true of the sense of smell. Dogs have notoriously keen noses. In fact, they smell, depending on breed, nearly ten million times better than humans. Which means that at the moment, Dr. Sage is being assaulted by such a cacophony of smells that she is completely incapable of following the conversation. Ben-Ben was dead,
2: too. And the penny drops. Ben-Ben? Petra? How is this possible? Oh, Petra, can this be true? Are you in the... dog? Here, Cheng, drink this water. And
3: are you thirsty, too, Ben-Ben? Yes? Water. Water is good. Becoming immortal is hard work, isn't it, boy? Well, come, little fool. Let me get you some food and water. As the
0: master disappears into the other room again, followed by the little dog, Professor Savant takes a moment to pull himself together and make some observations of where they are. Although the master's robe is very fine, the room they are in is plain to the point of austerity. A simple bamboo screen covers a window and Savant moves it aside to reveal a stunning vista of peaks and valleys all intertwined with ropey mist. The smell of pine and cedar replaced the notes of sulfur and charcoal
3: that dominate the dwelling. I must ask you, Cheng, while we were dead, did you have any strange dreams or visions? Dreams? Visions? I saw myself, not as myself, but as a young man on some kind of ship. The other sailors took great fright when I sat up, and I noticed that my body had a terrible injury of some sort. The vision did not last for long, and though everything was different than the reality I know, I have no doubt it was I who experienced those things. Strange, is it not?
2: Yes, most strange. Tell me, have you ever heard of the concept of transmigration
0: of consciousness? The professor did not know if the Chinese had a concept for astral travel, but he trusted the strange alchemy of translation that he and the doctor had discovered. Their thoughts get translated by the body into a language form that matches with the host.
3: Soul journey. Yes, I have read the writings on that. But is not the purpose of such a journey to throw off the shackles of the bodily form and travel to planes the body cannot follow? I do not think I experienced a soul journey.
2: But why not? You say we swallowed the elixir yesterday, yet here we are alive today. Where have our consciousnesses been, if not here, with our body? And what experience could we have and remember that are not filtered through the sensation of a body?
3: You ask too many questions, Cheng. For now we must find Bao Zhi and Cheng Gong and show them that their doubt was misplaced.
0: And so, the old master chivvied the professor into packing up the meager supplies and leaving the small shelter on the mountaintop. The heavier pack, the one containing the alchemical ingredients, alembics, and bowls, was strapped to the professor's back. The lighter pack, filled with clothes and blankets, was carried by the old man. The food was loaded into a small wagon and hitched to a harness worn by the doctor. They head off down the hill, the doctor being plagued by an overwhelming number of new scents, calling her alarm at each new stimulus. Ah! Squirrel! Ah!
2: Deer! Ah! Cedar! Ah! Oh joy, I am now a dog interpreter. So, just exactly what are you trying to improve with your experiments?
3: We must not fall prey to inferior virtue. Its operation does not rest. We must find our way with the path of superior virtue, which has no doing. It does not use examining and seeking. What the doctor said is, How can you call
0: yourself a scientist if you are not examining and seeking? Partridge! Hush,
3: Ben-Ben. Your master is talking. (laughs)
2: I do not think Ben-Ben appreciates being told to hush.
3: What possible
2: discourse
3: can a mere dog add to the thoughts of man? (laughs)
2: Bamboo! (laughs) Bamboo! Bamboo! (laughs) bamboo. Uh, Dogs are most perceptive creatures. Uh, Besides...
3: There is no besides. Dogs cannot contain a soul.
0: Well, Master Wei-Boyong is wrong about that. Although, to his credit, in Dr. Sage's time, they are no closer to understanding the true nature of animals. For now, you and I are forced to admit that dogs can contain a soul because
2: Dr. Sage is currently inhabiting a dog. My experience has been that our thoughts on what can and cannot exist are proven false more times than they are proven true. Isn't that so, Petra? But the doctor is lost in the overwhelming and exciting
0: smells of the forest around her. She has her nose to the ground and is trotting ahead on the path, delirious with the olfactory input. You will pardon me if I stop translating it.
3: Well, if we must give in to the inferior virtue, then what makes you think that a dog can contain a soul? Or, for that matter, what made you reference soul journeys in regards to my elixir dream?
2: Well, (laughs) just that... If the consciousness can be separated from the body, then then there is no way for it to experience anything on the earthly plane. Because it is through the body that we experience life. Well, this opens up the consideration... As they trudge down the mountain, the professor makes lengthy
0: and tortured attempts to explain his philosophical understanding of the transmigration of consciousness.
3: What do you mean, you are not exactly Chang? I...
2: Well, uh, your disciple did not awaken from your elixir. I have inhabited his body instead. And I suspect my fellow traveler, Dr. Petronella Sage, has inhabited the dog. Inhabited? Oh, I wish Petra could talk. She is so much better at these things than I. My instinct is to say the things as they are.
3: You are most assuredly not speaking as my disciple Cheng... But how do I know that you have not just had your brain addled by the experience of becoming immortal?
2: I can tell you things about the future. I live in... Oh, Why have you stopped? I don't think I should. I I, I don't know. This is deucedly hard. It, It was much easier when I was the baby and Petra had to handle all these dilemmas. In my experience,
3: things that are difficult to say are the important things. In our search for the relation of the Tao and the 10,000 things, we must remember those things that connect us are greater than those that divide us.
2: But are we allowed to break the barriers of time itself in order to impart knowledge?
3: You are saying you have knowledge from another time, and you receive this knowledge while in the stupor caused by the elixir we took.
2: Well, not exactly. I am saying that I am from another time, and that the elixir your disciple Cheng took killed him, allowing my consciousness to be transferred into his body. I am afraid he is not immortal, but will expire when I leave his body to return to my own time. And Petra heard that.
0: She jerks her mind free of the entrancing smells of juniper, rabbit, mole, and partridge to the words, When I leave this body. Ruff!
1: Ruff, ruff, ruff! She says, wait, you fool,
0: what are you doing? We shouldn't be telling a scientist from the past what we can do. It might change the whole course of scientific development.
2: Oh, dear. I seem to have upset my friend.
3: Your friend who is the
2: dog? Oh, yes. Oh, no, no, I don't know. Perhaps it will be best if you just ignore everything I've said and I could just pretend to be Chang again.
3: No good can ever come from pretending to be what you are not. And you are clearly not my disciple, Chang. For one thing, you are far more interested in philosophy than he ever was. The professor
2: kneels down next to the dog. Petra, I don't know what to do. I had not realized how much I rely upon your judgment in these instances. You are much better at navigating the intricacies of time than I.
0: Petra says... It has not gone especially well for us when we tell the truth of our presence, but Wei Boyong seems the level-headed sort. Just be cautious.
2: I do not know what is the right course. All I can do is to be honest, and hope you will not wish to pillory me for it. My friend is a brilliant scientist and galvanist for many hundreds of years in the future.
3: So far...
2: Yes. She's employed at a university where I also teach. I'm a professor of antiquities. Last year, I was present in her laboratory when there was an accident and our consciousness has transmigrated for the first time. Since that time, we've visited over a dozen times and places. She's been a man, I've been a baby, we've both been children at one point, lovers at another. We've been traveling and experiencing life through the eyes of other people ever since.
3: And you believe you traveled into the body of my acolyte and my dog? Yes. And why did one of you not enter my
2: body? Perhaps because you were awake before the time we arrived. And if you
3: had not arrived, would Cheng and Benben ben be here now? Oh,
2: God. Do you, do you think it's possible that we kept them from assuming their own bodies? We
3: cannot know. And it is fruitless to ask questions to which there is no answer. Come. We must continue on. If I know Bao Zhe and Cheng Bong, they will be in a tavern at the bottom of the mountain. For curiosity's sake, which mountain? Why, Yunmanshan, of course. Come, Cheng. Come, Benben. We walk. Taking the strange explanations of Professor
0: Savant in stride, the master leads the way down the mountain. They progress in quiet contemplation, punctuated only by the sound of their feet on the path and the occasional announcements of the dog. Pooh, I've got to... No. No, I draw the line at that. From now on, Petra will have to give you her own thoughts, no matter how doggy and undignified they are.
2: Fine!
3: So this travel is accomplished by the use of dead bodies that then play host to your spirits...
2: Yes. We can only inhabit bodies that are capable of sustaining life. The doctor believes that it's the electrical impulses of the brain which hold the key to all movement and life within the body.
3: So could you enter the body of one long dead?
2: I do not think so. Decomposition would render the electrical pathways of the nerves unreceptive to messages from the brain. The tissue would be untenable.
3: What of one that has been grievously wounded?
2: Dr. Sage contends that most death is actually due to shock to the brain and that if you could prevent a body from exsanguination, for example, then you can restore life to the body by restoring the mind.
3: And so you travel from place to place, time to time, entering bodies that are in less than optimal
2: health. (laughs) It sounds rather venial when you put it that way, but...
3: Yes. And how do you return to your own place and time?
2: Oh, well, it's a bit messy. We have to die in these bodies, and as we die, we transmigrate back to our own bodies back in the lab.
3: It is only the key and the shen that travel, and you must enter and exit through death. Interesting.
2: Oh, I don't know if I would call it interesting so much as inconvenient. Qi and Shen. Life, force, and spirit. The Qi carries thoughts and emotions,
3: which it is obvious travel with you, as Cheng and Ben-Ben have different outward personalities than you. On the Shen, which holds the generative power, your ability to take action in the world around you.
2: As near as the doctor can tell, it is not possible for two consciousnesses to inhabit the same body— Perhaps this is because of the key, that the one body cannot hold two sets of thoughts and emotions, so we are stuck with dead ones.
3: Would you say the dream I had while under the influence of the elixir was an instance of this transmigration you speak of? I certainly felt that it was my own key in the body of a stranger.
2: I cannot say for certain, but but yes, it sounds like it was. So
3: I might possibly be a time-traveller too.
2: Oh. Well, I don't know exactly. It is Petra who is the expert on this. She tells me her theories, but honestly, the science of it escapes me. It has something to do with the standard electrical voltage of the human brain and the interruption of the current, but sound is also somehow an element. Sound? A a musical pitch, to be exact. Petra has it in mind that the pitch contributes to the trajectory. Each pitch she plays points toward a different era in time.
3: A pitch? Like
0: this? The master pulls a silver bowl from his pack and cups it gently in the palm of his hand. He strikes the edge of the bowl with a small wooden club.
2: Oh, that is lovely. It is a prayer bowl, is it not? Yes.
3: We must find harmony and balance in order to achieve immortality. It is a prime tenet in the work I have been pursuing my entire life. Uh, Did
2: you by chance use that bowl when you took your elixir?
3: Yes, to align the harmony and focus our key.
2: How strange that your research aligns so completely with that of Dr. Sage. Oh, she would be fascinated by your philosophies.
3: I do wish I had a chance to converse at length with her. She sounds fascinating,
2: your doctor. Oh, fascinating, maddening, enthralling
3: preoccupying magnetic does she know that you are in love
2: with her oh she knows that I hold her in the highest of regard her love is her work
1: I hold you in the same high regard (laughs)
2: Erasmus oh Petra you're back Mm -hmm. I'm having a lovely conversation with Master Wei
1: I am glad (laughs) can we go home now
3: how then shall we get you and your doctor home
2: I'm not sure usually we've met with some kind of violence, sword fights, cannons, gunshots, something that abruptly ends our sojourn. Petra worries that self-immolation may prove fatal rather than catalytic.
3: She might be correct, but she might not. I swallowed my elixir, knowing Ben Ben to be dead, though I hoped I would be proved wrong. I was expecting death myself, and yet I returned and
2: yet you returned. What is it in this elixir of yours?
3: Years of studying nature, prayer, reading and listening. A lifetime of understanding.
2: (laughs) Ah, ingredients we can easily pick up at the corner shop then. Good. We shall leave our friends for a
0: moment as they plan their exit strategy and pause for a word from our sponsor.
4: The Wild Wild West Steampunk Convention is the largest Western-style, full-immersion steampunk convention in the United States. Featuring over 80 panels, 60-plus vendors, our first steampunk vehicle exhibition, two evening concerts, Western tea dueling, absinthe tasting, Tesla's Laboratory, a steampunk fashion show, celebrities, three outdoor stages, and so much more. Wild Wild West Con has something for everyone. The theme for this year's Wild Wild West Con is Cthulhu for President. Vote for Cthulhu or any other favorite steampunk candidate. All voting proceeds benefit our charity Kids Need to Read, which provides books and reading programs to underfunded schools. Join us March 3rd through 5th, 2017, Find tickets and information at wildwestcon.com. I hope to see you there. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Wild
0: Wild WestCon is the biggest steampunk convention in the Southwest, and you do not want to miss it. Get your tickets at wildwestcon.com. And now, back to our show. When we left our heroes, they were discussing the best method to leave their current bodies and return to their own time. After much discussion, it was decided that Way's elixir offered the best possible solution. This, after the following. You could
2: always stab each of us with a kitchen
3: knife. My conscience forbids me to take a life.
1: There is no better time to try the boundaries of self-immolation.
2: Well, Petra has been inching closer to the idea that we could interrupt our own lives in order to accomplish transmigration. Perhaps now is the best time to test that. And so it
0: was decided. They stopped along the side of the road so that Wei Boyong could mix a batch of his elixir.
3: Put your mind in harmony with nature. Listen to the wind in the trees. Listen to the chirping of the crickets, drink the elixir, and hear the harmony of life. And
0: when our pair of adventurers awaken in their own bodies, it is for once not awash
2: in traumatic emotion.
1: <sighs> Erasmus? Yes, pet? I love you, too, in my own way.
2: I know, pet. This is a much better way to wake up, is it not?
1: I have to say, I appreciate not feeling traumatized by our departure. What do
2: you think was in his elixir?
1: I'm not sure. I thought I tasted licorice, but now I'm not so certain.
2: Hmm. Taste does not transfer with us, sadly. Do you think Wei achieved his goal of becoming immortal?
1: Oh, don't be ridiculous, Erasmus. There's no such thing as immortality.
2: We've managed to die multiple times, and yet we live.
1: That is not the same thing. I am most intrigued, though, by his use of the singing bowl to produce the tone. I will need to look into possibly modifying or augmenting the cladney device to produce more harmonics. Did you notice the overring the bowl produced? And the way the sound bounced off the mountain and created that echo. I wonder if that is what allowed the elixir to work with.
0: And we have lost I- her once again to contemplation of the intricacies
2: of time travel mechanics. Well, pet, you seem to be preoccupied, so... I shall leave you now.
1: I wish I knew more of the Chinese idea of key and shed, and how those line up with our modern ideas of consciousness.
2: (laughs) Well, yes. I've been meaning to study the Tao. Perhaps now I have an excuse to do so.
0: And so we leave our academics once again locked in the throes of scientific curiosity. As for us, we shall have to wait another month to find out what they discover. Oh, the... Agonies of not having the ability to time travel at whim. Until next time, dear listeners, I bid you adieu. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Chip Michael as Savant, Eddie Louise as Sage, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Episode 9, In Secret and Silence, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical information we included in this episode? Go to our website for links to the research. Theme music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was Traveler from the album The Mother Matrix by the Nathaniel Johnstone Band. Check them out at NathanielJohnstone.com. Our episode sponsor was Wild Wild Westcon, the biggest steampunk convention of the American Southwest. Find them at wildwestcon.com. And catch our website at sageandsavant.com or like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.